Australia's climate has really tested our primary producers as of late. The impacts of drought and bushfire are widespread across the Australian landscape, significantly impacting the size of the Australian sheep flock and number of native wildlife. But could there be a silver lining amongst all this chaos? You're listening to The Yarn, a podcast for the Australian wool industry. We've heard a lot about the effects of Australia's natural disasters on livestock and native wildlife, but how have feral species reacted? And could we use drought and bushfire to our advantage in controlling feral populations? Peter Fleming is a senior research scientist who's worked with the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries in the vertebrate pest unit since 1983. And he answers exactly those questions on this episode of The Yarn, highlighting the importance of coordinated pest control programs once the immediate concerns of natural disasters have subsided. So whether they're wild dogs, foxes, pigs, feral cats, rabbits, they're all guilty and they're all getting some spotlight today. So stay tuned as Peter takes the reins. I think the important thing is they will be under considerable stress uh, personally um, from the impacts of not only the, the drought that they're already dealing with, that's, that's a fairly emotionally stressful situation. But also uh, those people that are affected by fire, they will immediately be thinking about... Or the, the important thing for them is to think about their immediate concerns and their immediate uh, personal welfare as well. But to remember that once they get back into the position of uh, re-establishing their flocks and their herds that they need to consider the impacts of the potential impacts of foxes and dogs on their capacity to to recover and so if they're involved in collaborative cooperative local control programs that will help them out because they'll be able to do their control at a scale that's adequate to actually knock those populations down and, and therefore enhance their reproductive output from their sheep and from their cattle as they try and recover their numbers after the drought. Can we talk a little bit about the impact of bushfires on the distribution of feral species? Well, the, the immediate impact of, of the bushfires, because they've been so devastating and so widespread and impacting on top of drought in most places, what that has meant is that there will have been varying uh, levels of loss to the populations of wild dogs, foxes, cats and feral deer and and so on through the initial impacts of the fires. But then the survivors of those will be under pressure to find food. And so some landholders are observing groups of dogs moving from adjacent forested country that's been burnt onto their agricultural country and impacting on on their livestock. It's not that we've got an increase in numbers, it's just that they've had to move. And we know that they can move uh, quite considerable distances. However, they will end up being short of food. And so this provides us with a a unique opportunity to actually take advantage of the terrible situation with the fires to actually increase our effectiveness of our control. And so there's a different strategy for the predators and for the, the things that they eat that might be feral. And they are, for the prey species, so things like feral deer and feral pigs, there's an ideal opportunity. As soon as there's some revegetation after rain, um, you know, say six or eight weeks after the fires, 
A lot of them will be concentrated on areas of high fertility and high production, so valley floors and you know, tablelands and things like that within the forested areas. So that provides a, a wonderful opportunity to get cost-effective control in particularly aerial culling mm -hmm. um, because the animals will be concentrated and they will still be concentrated around the water as well. The other thing about it is that things like feral goats are much more visible, white against black as <laughs> the burnt out country or white against bright green. It makes them much more visible. The uh, vegetation doesn't impede vision so it makes ground-based control a lot easier as well. So that should happen you know, in the, in the short term. Mm -hmm. The uh, predators, um, we need to think about their biology and it is probably better that people spend this next period of time doing their normal planning that they would do for their annual control programs because the annual control programs as they exist now, the cooperative programs between local land services, wool growers and cattle producers and uh, national parks and forestry people usually occur in autumn and that's the appropriate time in terms of the movements of the animals, the, the wild dogs that you're concerned about and also uh, you, you knock off uh, foxes at the same time. Their populations are actually lowest at that time of the year because it's their breeding period, the period when they go around and breed. And so that's also part of the um, effectiveness of control. These animals are moving around a bit then. They seem to be more susceptible to baiting at that period of time. So if people can conduct their control programs at the normal time, but make sure that they spend this next period of time when they get over dealing with the immediate impacts of the fires, that's a good time to make sure that they've got all their uh, programs in place, uh, their investments in place to actually get out there and really impact upon the populations after the fires. And almost try and somewhat take advantage of what is a dire situation. Exactly. It's you know the, the silver lining on the cloud yeah. is that the, the animals, the populations will be lower. They will probably be moving around a bit more because they're still looking for prey. Their prey numbers will have declined uh, considerably, so they will be looking for food. And it also fits into their uh, normal biological annual reproductive cycle. So it's a good time to take advantage of the, the dire situation. Absolutely. So looking ahead a little bit further down the track, 6, 12 months, what control programs could we hope to see? There are ongoing programs in most local land service districts and those are highly collaborative with um, the public land managers in those areas and so I envisage that there will be considerable investment in those. Those, those will be the programs that they normally run but I think that they will be um, expanding. It looks like federal government and state governments might be uh, putting further investment into uh, control programs for predators and for prey species but mainly for predators. So that's what I will see uh, happening over the next six months. There may actually be a second round of uh, control in spring for wild dogs particularly. Uh, some of those are already planned, but I, I envisage that some of those, um, the distribution of those may increase as the opportunity has arisen and if there's funding out there for people to do it. So if producers are noticing more predators, or if they're moving through different territories, your key message would be to get in touch with your local con control groups and yeah, well, go from well, there. In, in New South Wales and and in other states, there are various local uh, and sort of regional uh, control organisations. There's a lot of uh, local control groups that have been established, particularly through AWI and MLA uh, sponsored coordinators, 
and also in New South Wales where I'm more familiar through the roles of the local land services who are responsible for coordinating these broad-scale control programs. The important thing is for the landholders to actually contact those people if they've seen animals. There's also the the Wild Dog Scan app which people can download. Uh, Wild Dog Scan is a, a thing that you get on your phone and you log in which puts your GPS location of where you are and so you can record uh, sightings of dogs, sign, control actions that you might might undertake onto a position on a map and so that can then go to their local, uh, if they wish, to their local control group and also to their um, local land services or whatever organisation. So in Western Australia they do the similar sort of thing that goes to uh, their what they call their RBGs. That enables those uh, people that are responsible for coordinating to be aware of the scale of the issue that they're responsible for. If you don't tell them, they don't know and they can't help you. Yeah, so the more people that are recording this information, the better. better. We get a much better picture of the scale. And the important thing is, is people are not just reporting for the sake of reporting. They're reporting so that they get a response. And once they get that response, they're then able to see whether that response is actively uh, solving their problem and reducing the impacts of dogs and foxes and so on on their livestock production enterprise. You have been in the office today for the National Wild Dog Action Plan committee meeting. Has the development of the new plan for 2020 to 2030 taken into consideration any effects of bushfires? It was, uh, was something that we, we discussed and the group decided that they would encourage this, this investment uh, to be made uh, and endorse any, uh, any such investment into increased opportunities to control wild dogs for protection of the livestock, but also for protection of endangered, uh, some of the endangered fauna that they might be impacting and, of course, the people that are impacted by those, um, those attacks. The New South Wales DPI is currently running three research programs in the predator control space, the first of which AWI also contributed to. We've got a number of programs going at the moment. One is funded by Centre for Invasive Species Solutions and other parties, and that's what we're calling the uh, Preparation for Reset project. That's about expanding and increasing the intensity of current programs to actively cover off on the scale at which we need to do predator control. It'll be a national project but we're currently doing it within the state and working in mainly the north coast and the northern tablelands of New South Wales. That's one project. Another project that we're dealing with uh, is a predator and prey interaction program in the western division of New South Wales. And what we're looking at there is the movement interactions between wild dogs and feral pigs from the point of view of better targeting control programs in the future so that the feral pigs don't interfere with the control programs aimed at wild dogs. And that's funded by a program out of the Western Local Land Services. The other really big program that we're involved with is a feral cat management program that's funded by the Environmental Trust. And that involves three bioregions, northern New South Wales, southern New South Wales and one in uh, the western division of New South Wales. And a similar sort of idea to our original reset program occurs there where we have increased intensity, distribution and frequency of predator control with the objective of targeting the feral cats specifically. And we'll compare that on two sites with 
what people do normally, which we're calling business as usual control, which is flexible and, and probably largely ineffective. So we want to compare effective control with ineffective control and see what benefits we can get for uh, agricultural production, environmental values and also social values. Are these programs developed in consultation with a lot of producers and other researchers? Well, there's two components to it. One is building on other research programs that we've, we've already had. Secondly, they're essentially driven by stakeholder needs and stakeholder ideas quite often. We build on those to come up with a new set of ideas and strategies and then we go and test them, which is essentially what we're doing with the, uh, the Feral Cat project and the uh, Reset project that I talked about. Peter Fleming, thank you for being on the yard today. Thank you. That was Peter Fleming from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. Some important research coming through in the vertebrate pest space from the New South Wales DPI and great collaborative initiatives too. AWI also has significant investments in its vertebrate pest program, particularly in the wild dog control space, as wild dogs annually cost the Australian economy over $66 million. Under AWI's Community Wild Dog Control Initiative funding, 194 wild dog groups have been funded to date, with 10 current groups, four in Victoria, two in Queensland, two in New South Wales, one in South Australia and one in WA. Funding for this initiative is currently suspended due to reduced income. However, the results from the funding program have been extremely positive. Respondents have recorded an 83% reduction in sheep losses, an 86% improvement in well-being through participating in wild dog control programs, and over half the respondents observed an improvement in the abundance of native Australian wildlife as a result of the control program. So all round, the wild dog control program is really hitting the triple bottom line with proven economic, social and environmental benefits too. On top of that, the research into rabbit biocontrol and understanding RHDV2 calicivirus interaction continues to progress. Laboratory rabbits exposed to RHDV2 have had a 100% fatality rate in both young and old rabbits with a short illness duration. So, so far this investment is showing promising results with researchers aiming to prepare RHDV2 as a base-registered product for Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authority, which would allow for targeted release. So there's a lot of collaborative work happening in the industry to help mitigate the impact of feral species on livestock producers and hopefully provide you with the practical information and tools to assist your control programs as well. We certainly look forward to seeing more economic, social and environmental benefits as vertebrate pest control continues to progress and more importantly, as the Australian sheep flock begins to rebuild. That's a wrap on this episode of The Yarn. If you have feedback on this episode or the podcast, you can get in touch with us at theyarnatwool.com. We're on Instagram at beyondthebale and Twitter at Wool Innovation. I'm Ellie Bigwood. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to our next yarn. Yarn.